Welcome to another Precure Prescription for Life podcast. We are here exploring health, life, and everything in between. Today we're joined with Dr. Karen Zinn and Professor Grant Schofield to talk about Nutrients 101, exactly what are macro and micronutrients. Hey, it's Grant Schofield here and I'm joined by Dr. Karen Zinn. Karen, how's it going? Hi, I'm good, thanks Grant. Ready to talk nutrition. Macronutrients, micronutrients, nutrition 101. What's a macronutrient? A macronutrient is a nutrient that you need in fairly large proportions. The word macro meaning large. So we've got carbohydrates, proteins, and fat, which are our three macronutrients in the diet. So we need those in quite large proportions. And what's different about them? Essential, non-essential, calories, what do they do in the body? Okay, so we've got carbohydrates, and carbohydrates are... An interesting macronutrient because our bodies can actually make glucose when we don't eat it. So while carbohydrates are important for the body, they're not actually essential. So just given the situation, if you went on a fast or you didn't have any food available at all, your body can actually make glucose for the brain, for the retina of the eyes, for the cells of the kidney. So it can it can make its own glucose, but of course carbohydrates are really important uh, to deliver nutrients like fiber and vitamins and minerals from the foods that exist in the category. There's a study of the world's longest medically supervised fast that's published in the medical literature. Yes, there is. And what does that show us about carbohydrates? Exactly what I was just saying. So, so this guy, Scottish guy, fasted 182 days, and he so he didn't eat anything apart from I think the the latter time he took some micronutrients, but he didn't eat anything, and he survived beautifully well, and he lost a whole lot of weight, which it, which was his main goal. So it just it's a good proof of concept that. Actually, glucose is a very, very, very important nutrient for various organs in the body. But in actual fact, our body is so well in tune with homeostasis that it can make its own when, when carbs are not available from food. Right. Now, this fellow presented at a Scottish emergency department at 400 and something pounds. He was obviously had a lot of stored meals on his person. Yeah. And and he proceeded to chew through those that those stored fat over the next three hundred eighty two days, and he ended up, I think, at the end of breaking the fast, at one hundred and eighty five pounds, mm-hmm. and was able to maintain a stable and normal blood glucose despite not eating any glucose since then. I don't think you're suggesting this as a strategy. For no, it. not at all. But it's just to say that carbohydrate. We we are guided to eat a. A, a lot of carbohydrate, most of our energy coming from carbohydrate. And you do have to wonder about that considering it's not biologically essential for the body. And when you compare that with protein and fat, you've got essential amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. You've got eight of them that are essential, meaning that your body cannot produce them and you need to get them from food. And you've got in, in the fat macronutrient department, you've got two essential fatty acids, your omega-3 fatty acids and your omega-6 fatty acids, which are biologically essential. If you don't get them in the diet, then you run into all sorts of trouble. Right, so for building a healthy animal, including a human, you need to have the essential nutrient macronutrients, which are fat and protein. Yes. They must be 
derived from the diet. Yes. And that's why we have essential fatty acids and essential amino acids. Correct. The thing is with those, if you don't have those after a while, that's the end of you. Well, you, you end up getting essential fatty acid deficiency, which comes with a unique array of symptoms. And then you get protein energy malnutrition if you don't get your essential amino acids, which is something that we don't really see a lot of in first world countries. But it's still very possible if you, if you don't eat any essential amino acids. And I mean, you get them from animals and you get them from proteins as well. So it would be very it would be a real challenge to not have any of those for a prolonged period of time. Right. And what about this idea of energy density by, by these macronutrients? Some, how many calories, when we talk about calories, what do we even mean? Yeah, so a calorie is just really a unit of energy. And it, it can be described as calories or, or kilojoules. And what we know is that carbohydrates and protein per gram give us equal amount of calories. So one gram of carbs gives you four calories. One gram of protein gives you four calories. Fat is more calorie dense. So one gram of fat gives you nine calories. And one gram of alcohol, which can be described as a macronutrient really, is, is supplying you with seven calories. So... So this is just the energy that you get from these different macronutrients well, that you find in food. So all you're saying is like a teaspoon of fat, maybe that's five grams, would give you 40 45 grams of calories. calories, whereas a teaspoon of sugar would we'll give, give you 20. Right. So, yeah. And that's one of the thoughts about fat being a problem in the yeah, diet. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting because one of the – one of the places that I think we've gone wrong in guiding people, and you can see how it's been quite – you can see how it has gone this way, is that you need to have a small amount of fat in your diet. You, you need to have low-fat diet because fat is very calorie-dense. And, of course, if you have too many calories, that could lead to gaining excess weight. So by purely because of the calorie contribution of fat and alcohol, it means that we need to keep those foods – Low, but that's a, a, the system's more complicated than the that. I think we'll look much more complicated, and, and, and we'll look forward to hearing more about that for sure. Uh, what about ketones? What are they? Yeah, so ketones provide energy from the body, but you don't actually eat ketones like you would eat bread and cereal, which would give you carbs. You don't actually eat ketones. Your body makes ketones, and it makes ketones by breaking down fat. So when you are either not eating anything or when you are on a very low carbohydrate, high healthy fat diet, you would be using fat as a fuel source. And what happens there is you, you break fat down and it produces three ketones in the body. One's called beta-hydroxybutyrate, one's called acetone, one's called acetoacetate. And these ketones provide your body with fuel and they provide the brain with a good source of fuel too. Now, that's macros. What about micronutrients? What do we mean by micronutrients? Yeah, so micro, when you look at the word macro meaning large, micro meaning small. So these are a range of vitamins, minerals, and trace elements that you get in very, very small quantities, but you have, you have a lot of them. So find a little bit in a lot of foods. And micronutrients, I think, have been the most underestimated component of nutrition because we're so focused on macros that we forget about the micros and they have a range of functions in the body. And without the micros, we, we simply just don't 
take over as we should. So we're talking about things like vitamins. Vitamin C is a micronutrient. Yep, it is. So we've got our water-soluble vitamins, which are your B complex, you know, your B1, B2, B3, B12, da 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 vitamin C. And then we've got our fat solubles, which is vitamin A, vitamin D, E, and K. So the, those water-soluble ones just go in through the intestines into the blood and away they go. Yeah. And, and the fat-soluble ones need to go through the cholesterol pathway. Yeah, and, and your water-soluble ones, your body takes what it needs for its functions and then and then you excrete the rest in your urine. And that's why sometimes you see if you take a B vitamin supplement, your urine is very yellow because that's oh, a lot yeah, of right. the B vitamin that comes out because your body's taken what it needs from it. Uh, the fat-soluble ones are stored in the fat stores. So typically you can... Store, like vitamin D is a classic example, you store it in your fat stores and typically only at the end of the end of winter, your stores of vitamin D are low because the sun activation hasn't happened throughout winter. So A, D, E and K are stored in the body in your fat stores, whereas water soluble are not stored. And what about the minerals and metals and these sorts of things? Yeah, so again, you've got, you've got a, a wide range of minerals. You've got calcium, You've got iron, magnesium, manganese, phosphorus. You've got electrolytes like sodium and potassium. And each of these different micronutrients have a unique function in the body, ranging from fluid regulation for sodium and potassium right through to bone formation and regulation from calcium and phosphorus. It's interesting. I was always been critical when we were talking about diets. You're going on about uh, micronutrients, and I'm sort of rolling my eyes, going, oh, "Who cares?" <laughs> Honestly, the macros important as long as you're eating whole, f- a range of unprocessed foods, you're going to get enough. Is that is that true? I think at the end of the day, that that is true. If you do get a range of good quality whole unprocessed foods, your micros should sort themselves out for sure. Uh, but but like I said, I think we've been too focused on on looking at the macro ratios and less focused on actual foods which will provide us with these micronutrients. Right, and, and so there's a school of thought that says that modern farm-grown or, or industrially-grown food lacks the range of micronutrients that previous generations of food have. Is there evidence for that? Oh, I think there's an element of truth to that. In New Zealand, our soils tend to be lower naturally in selenium and in iodine. So... So some of our foods would be slightly lower in those nutrients. I think also in the industrial processes, food processing strategies, what happens is is that we lose a lot of the micronutrients. We're recycling the same soil, yeah. fertilizer, this sort of thing. That's right. And also just the actual processing of the food strips foods from micronutrients, and that's why they fortify things. They add, they, they strip it away, and then they add it back, which is an interesting concept. Right, right. Another thing in food, okay, so what I'd like to do now is talk about how we process food. It, mm-hmm. you, mostly you need to put food in your mouth and eat it, right? Absolutely. You chew it, which is called mechanical digestion, and then it goes down your alimentary tract and gets absorbed, and that is called chemical digestion. And it will happen in different places, yeah. and, and the gut composition and the way the gut works varies between people and what are the issues there yeah it does carbohydrate protein and fat have their unique methods of being digested in the system and you're right people have different reactions to different foods so healthy gut will be 
we'll, we'll have a lining that's that's got this that's got this structure whereby certain certain molecules are not let through because they can be quite. This is the tight junction thing that the the, yeah. the, the junction the cells in the gut are butted up tightly against each other, but sometimes they become. That, that so sometimes they loose, become a bit loose, loose or leaky, and, and stuff can leak through that wouldn't normally go through into the blood. Totally, and the the typical one there would be something like gluten, or perhaps a component from dairy and other components of food that can leak into the spaces that we shouldn't find these foods, and that can cause a range of symptoms. Typically, gastrointestinal symptoms like bloating and diarrhea and just general discomfort. And some of those molecules might end up in the bloodstream and the immune system doesn't recognize them as friendly molecules and then will attack them. And that's what we call an autoimmune response. Totally, totally. So we have this celiac disease, which is the, which is the, immune, the typical immune response whereby gluten is attacked. So it's almost seen as like a foreign compound in the body. Right, and that's the theory that uh, the gluten, the protein that the is protein in, in, in wheat, wheat, actually doesn't resemble the protein in more ancient wheat. So it's actually a very new because of a lot of crossbreeding and genetic Yes, and, and, I, and I think the, the way that they process wheat now is quite different. And also the, the types of wheat now have a lot more gluten than the wheat of old. So gluten is becoming more of a problem for people. But the, but the traditional celiac disease or celiac sprue, it's, it's called, there is still a very, very small percentage of the population that suffer from, from celiac disease. So if you do suffer from celiac disease, it's a gluten problem and you find gluten in wheat, oats, bar barley and rye. And those are the four types of grains that you should really avoid. But of course, gluten, you find gluten in soy sauce and, and various things as well. So that's the immune side of it, whereas the non-immune side of it is your non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and that's more your your leaky gut, where you get, you get the gut which is a, a bit more permeable and it's leaking compounds through, and that can cause your dis discomfort. And, and generally, if gluten's the starting problem, if you don't remove gluten and let your gut heal, what happens is, is it starts becoming leaky to all other components as well. So that's where you start becoming intolerant to dairy and maybe soy and maybe other things. Meanwhile, you need to have a complete gut rest. And then at that point, you can start reintroducing some of those other foods. Right. So the gut should be fairly resilient in most humans, but sometimes it, it, be. but sometimes it becomes not that. Mm -hmm. And the view is that you may need to just go back to removing a, a bunch of things and trying again. It's very trial and error. It's, it's so trial and error. You need, to, you need to remove the obvious aggravants like wheat and dairy and, and things that would cause obvious problems. And then, of course, be kind to your gut. So have things like fermented foods and sauerkraut and potentially a probiotic preparation. And Again, ideally, you want to avoid alcohol. You want to avoid all the, all the things that are going to aggravate. And you do that for a while until the gut is then happy and healthy and ready to then process those, those other foods. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about is wrapping up this Nutrients 101 mm -hmm. is we hear about all these different ways of eating that the macronutrients change. It's high fat, low carb, mm -hmm. low fat. What's that a little bit? 
So that's probably about, it's, it's probably because how we guide people to eat is not really working. If you look at our health status around us, our levels of obesity and diabetes and chronic disease and all sorts of things. I know it's a, it's a complex area, but there is scrutiny being placed on how we typically guide people how to eat, which is like this. We typically tell the population around the world, all the guidelines are pretty much the same, that we need to eat between 45 and 65% of our energy from carbohydrates, between 15 and 25% of our energy from protein, and between 20 and 35% of our energy from fat. These guidelines have morphed over the years subtly, but it typically sits around that same higher carb, lower fat, moderate protein approach. And that is being challenged. Because we're not getting obesity under control, we're not getting diabetes and chronic disease under control? Well, we're not getting it under control at all. In fact, it's, it's, it's all getting worse. And I think the, the issue is as well, now we're seeing all these autoimmune diseases and all these gut health issues, and we're talking about the microbiome, and it might be the macro ratios, uh, but it might just be too much processed, too much processed food. So I, th I think we need a lot more research to actually tease out what the real mechanisms are. That's a really good point, that you could get all the macronutrient. You could have two diets with exactly the same macronutrient amounts, but they could come from very different types of food. Absolutely. And I have to say, people talk about the blue zones, the zones around the world that have a very, very high carbohydrate diet, and they live to be centenarians. So low-carb critics go, what about these blue zone people? It's not about the carbohydrate. And to a certain extent, there's an element of truth there, because if you look at what's common about all these blue zones, so places in Italy, and um, another another Okinawa. Okinawa. What's common about these places are a few things. So the first thing that's common is that they don't tend to eat a lot of processed foods. They eat whole unprocessed foods. The other thing that's common about these places is that they've got a true sense of community. They make food together. They eat food together, and they've got a you know they've got a, a, a community sense. And I think. If you have a good community sense and it it extends into resilience and stress and all these other things, that could impart health so people can live to be centenarians. So it might not necessarily be high carb, low carb, green carb, blue carb, whatever. It might just be all about processed foods.